Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through his word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. This weekend, we are finishing up our Together series. And in this series, we've been talking about the fact that God created each one of us to do life together. None of us have been created to do life alone. And for the last month and a half, we've talked through the, the benefits of doing life together. We've talked about the challenges of doing life together. We've talked about the necessity of doing life together. But this weekend, what we're talking about are the confessions of someone who does life together. And the title of this message, if you're taking notes, you can write it down. If you're not taking notes, what's your problem? The title is, The Necessary Confessions of a Togetherer. I made up a word, just for fun, because I like it. Togetherer. Are you a togetherer? I'm going to say it like a hundred times in this message. The Necessary Confessions of someone who does life together. Now, these are not just verbal confessions. These are confessions that our lives must make, all right? So let me give you the first of the three confessions and we'll take a look at all three. Point number one, confession number one of someone who does life together. I can't do this by myself. Someone who does life with others understands this fact right here. I can't do this by myself. Now, you may not be aware of this yet, but you should be aware of the fact that everyone else around you is fully aware of the fact you can't do this by yourself. You may not be aware, but we are. And here's how we know you can't do it by yourself, because we can't do it without you. You need us. We need you. We need one another. You can't do it by yourself. And, and we're going to take a look today in the life of Moses, starting in Exodus 18. Now, if you go back to the beginning of Moses' kind of leadership journey, in the beginning, God comes to him and he says, hey, I have chosen you. I want to use you to liberate my people out of Egypt. And you know Moses' response. He says, no, that's not me. I can't do it. Okay. I'm not telling you that the confession you need to make in order to do life with other people is, I can't do this. That's resignation. What I'm saying is we all need to be able to make the admission, I can't do this by myself. Okay? Now, in Exodus chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law makes a house call. And I want you to see, through a couple of chapters of Scripture, the progression that Moses, one of the best leaders in Scripture, the progression he makes as it relates to the awareness of needing others to do what God called him to do, all right? Exodus chapter 18, starting in verse 13. The Bible says this, The next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning until evening. Let me, let me kind of break that down for you in the original language. What that means is the line of people was longer than the midday lunch line at In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A. All right? This line was crazy long. Everybody was waiting in line for Moses. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, 
What are you really accomplishing here, Moses? Such a great in-law right there, right? What are you actually accomplishing here with everybody standing in line? Why are you trying to do this all alone while everyone stands around you from morning until evening? In other words, you have the people around you to help, but why are you doing this all by yourself? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me. And I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Hit the pause button for a moment, please. What do you pick up on coming out of Moses' heart right now? Pride, right? I am the person everyone comes to. I settle the disputes among the parties. Okay, remember this, because this is not just true of Moses. This is true of all of us. Only the proud think they can do it all by themselves. Only the proud. Only in pride do I think I can do something all by myself. And that's what Moses says to Jethro. And listen to Jethro's response. Verse 17, this is not good. In other words, this is dumb, son-in-law. This isn't good. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. And if you got your Bible, I want you just to underline that phrase, all by yourself. It's interesting to me that Jethro says to Moses, he, he doesn't bash on him, but he says, listen, Moses, here's what happens when you try and do it all by yourself. You're going to wear yourself out, and all of the people are going to be worn out too. And here's why. Because when you do things all by yourself, Moses, Preston, you aren't getting the help you need from the people, and the people aren't getting the help they need from you. Because when we do it all by ourselves, everybody loses. Everybody misses out. Now, you might be in a season where you've isolated yourself. Maybe you've been hurt in the past by somebody, and so you're, you're kind of withdrawn, and, and you don't want to let people in, and you're guarded. I don't want you to hear guilt or condemnation. Because I don't think Jethro is saying, you idiot, Moses. You hear what he's saying in the end of verse 17. He says, Moses, this responsibility is too big for you to do all by yourself. I believe that's what God is saying to you. If you're trying to do things all by yourself, he's not saying you are bad. That's not what Jethro says. He says, this is not good. There's a better way, Moses. And it involves leveraging the strengths of the people around you. I believe God's saying that to you. Hey, this responsibility, this calling I've given you is far too large to try and pull off all by yourself. So leverage the people I've strategically placed in your life to do life with you and for you to do life with them. Now, Exodus 18, we kind of see some pride in Moses. He's like, I alone, I'm the one everybody comes to. Now, skip to Exodus 33 if you've got your Bible. If you don't, you can just read it with me. And let's just see kind of the progression that Moses has made in this amount of time. Exodus 33, one of my favorite chapters of the Old Testament, starting in verse 12. Moses says to God, look, you keep telling me, lead this people. Some translations say, you keep telling me I'm going to the promised land. But you don't let me know whom you're going to send with me. You tell me, 
I know you well and you're special to me. If I'm so special to you, let me in on your plans. That way I'll continue to be special to you. Don't forget, this is your people, your responsibility. My man Moses. See, we can sound like a fool for a while, but then we figure it out. I can't do this by myself. And Moses says to God, hey, Holmes, these people are yours. They're your responsibility. I can't do this by myself. Think about this for a moment. Here, here is how far Moses has come. He starts off by saying to God, hey, you keep telling me I'm going to this promised land, this amazing place that you've set apart for your people. That's great and all, but what I want to know is whom are you sending with me? Think about this. God's promised them this land, and he doesn't even want to talk about the promised land. He wants to know who's going with him. Why? Because he has figured out how essential it is to do life with others. That he needed others to be able to do what God called him to do. And this is one of the best leaders in all of Scripture. But his progression goes even further. Look in Numbers 11, what he says to God in verse 14. Now remember, the people have been griping. Okay, right before this, the people are griping because they're sick of manna. All right? God was providing food every morning, and the, the name manna means what is it? Incidentally, this is what most children say the first time you try to feed them vegetables. They're saying manna. Like, what is this? That's what the Israelites were saying. They were griping to God. And some of them were actually even saying, hey, at least when we were slaves in Egypt, we ate better than this. I mean, that's the kind of griping that's going on. And Moses gets fed up with this nonsense. And listen to what he says to God in verse 14 of Numbers 11. I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. If this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me now. My man Moses, do me a favor and spare me this misery. This isn't a Moses thing, this confession, I can't do this by myself. This is a humanity thing. None of us can do this by ourselves. And he says as much to God. I can't do this all by myself. You know the amazing response God gives in Numbers 11? God says, hey Moses, relax. I'm not going to make you do this all by yourself. Go find 70 men of Israel who are elders. Bring them to me. And I'll take some of the same spirit I put upon you and put it upon them. How about that, cupcake? <laughs> I'll lighten your load for you. Bring me 70 people. I don't even know if some of us know 70 people who could help us with our own loads. God says, here, here's how important others are in this equation, Moses. Go grab 70 of them. And the same thing I put on you, I'll put on them so they can help you walk this out. I can't do it by myself is not the admission of the weak. It's the mantra of the wise. And I can prove it to you. In John chapter 5, you might be shocked to hear who makes this statement, I can't do this by myself. Jesus himself. John chapter 5, verse 30. Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. Now he's in the middle of a, of, of a kind of a, a speech on judgment and he's talking about his connection to the Father. And so before you get theologically lopsided, let me help you understand. Jesus is not talking about an inability he has. Jesus is talking about an impossibility 
in his relationship with the Father. Jesus is saying, it is impossible because I am so connected to the Father. It is impossible for me to do something by myself. Can you even imagine what your life would look like if you were able to make that statement? That I am so connected to the people around me, it is literally impossible for me to do something all by myself. Here's what I think would happen. I think you'd be stronger. I think you'd be more fulfilled. I think you'd be a lot happier. I think life would be more fun. I think hell would be far more afraid of you. But you simply being able to say what Jesus said, I'm so connected to these people, it's impossible for me to do something by myself. This is the first confession of someone who does life together. I can't do this by myself. Here's confession number two, point number two. I won't do this by myself. Not just I can't. Once I get that revelation, I kind of move up a notch. I won't do this by myself. So point number one is an admission. Point number two is a commitment. You got a confession, then you really got a commitment. I won't do life by myself. Now, there are really two evidences that you make this confession, I won't do life by myself. And here's the first one. When you seek the best way rather than your way. When you seek the best way rather than your way. Have you ever been around someone who always had to be right? Don't raise your hand because it might be you. (laughs) You know what they're like. They always have to be right. Let me show you what scripture says about somebody like this and it might shock you. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Now, let me read this to you in the reverse. Someone who rages against all wise judgment. In other words, if it's not their way, they rage out against it. They have to be right. Someone like that seeks his own desire and isolates himself because of it. In other words, one of the fastest ways to isolate yourself is for everything to have to be your way. You always have to be right. The best leaders aren't the ones who are always right. The best leaders are the ones who know when they're wrong and when others are right. On Friday, uh, when the kids came home from school, Friday's usually my day off, and so they came home, and, and I was in my office at the house, and They said, Daddy, Daddy, we want to go play in the snow. Will will you take us up? We want to go play in the snow. Because apparently everyone was saying about 15 minutes north of my house, there was a bunch of snow. And it was about 4.30 at the time, and and it was raining heavily. I mean, it was pouring. And there's no snow anywhere around my house. And so I I just said, guys, it's pouring outside. That makes snow melt. There's not going to be any more snow up there. Okay? It's impossible. Daddy, I'm telling you, there's snow. Can we please just go? Fine. We load up in my truck. We start driving up north, okay? For the next 15 minutes, I'm not going to lie, I might have been under my breath and above my breath saying, anybody see snow around here? I know that shocks you that there'd be any honoriness coming out of me. Does anybody see any snow? So my 16-year-old daughter, who is getting wise to the ways of our home, sitting in the back seat, says, Mommy, and she picks up her phone, Mommy, 
This is a Snapchat from 30 minutes ago of one of my friends playing in the snow 15 minutes from here. I love that she doesn't address it to me. She addresses it to my wife. So we go for about 10 more minutes. There's still no snow anywhere to be seen. And I'm still kind of going, isn't this snow gorgeous? My daughter, sharp one, whips out the phone again. Mommy, not daddy, mommy. This is an Instagram video from one of my friends from 10 minutes ago, 10 minutes from here, playing in the snow. And I said, Riley, your friends are liars. That was from like yesterday. There's no way there's snow up there. Five minutes go by, and I'm still pointing out there's no snow because I'm thinking now we've turned up in Cave Creek, and we're up north. We're like 1,500 feet above the airport, and there's no snow on the ground, and it's raining. And I'm kind of now taking this moment to gloat a little bit. Riley whips out the phone again. Mommy, this is an Instagram video from one of my friends from five minutes ago, playing in the snow five minutes from here. Riley, that child is a liar. We keep driving up. And within two or three minutes, there's a little bit of snow on the ground. And I'm thinking, this isn't going to end well. <laughs> I have dug my hole, and I can now tell I'm going to die in it. <laughs> we go another minute further, a little bit higher in altitude. Now there's more snow than grass. We go another minute. Now it's all snow, no grass, and there's people on the side of the road building snowmen. <laughs> we go two minutes further up the hill, and there's this much powder on the ground. And probably 500 people lined up on the side of the road having snowball fights. What happened? I was convinced I was right. And somewhere along the line, I realized I was wrong, but I kept fighting for what I thought was right and only making more of a fool out of myself. Listen, the wisest people I know know when to admit they're wrong and when to celebrate that others are right, even when they're 16. But that's what we do, because being right matters so much to us, we double down, and we get louder, and we get more passionate, and we call it conviction, when it's really just stupidity. Listen to what Scripture says about finding the best way, rather than your way. Proverbs 20, verse 18 says, plans are established by counsel, getting others involved in finding the best way. By wise guidance, wage war. Proverbs 15, 22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. In other words, when we don't get others involved in the process of finding the best way. Many advisors, and the Hebrew word here is for counselors, many counselors brings success. Immaturity always seeks out its own way. Maturity is always looking for the best way. So what is Scripture saying is the best way to find the best way? A multitude of counselors. Leverage the variety of wisdom in your life to find the best way because I assure you, I don't know the best way all the time and neither do you. So leverage the people around you. 
and a multitude of counselors. There's not just wisdom, there is success. Now, here's the second evidence of someone who is doing life with others when they're confessing, their life is making the confession, I won't do this by myself. Others know your how and your what. You know you're doing life together when others know your how and your what. I've learned that I can tell how close you and I are to one another by how I answer the question, how are you doing? I get asked this all the time in the lobby, in the bathroom, I'll forward the grocery store, hey Preston, how you doing? And I've learned how close you and I are by how I answered the question. If I just say, hey, I'm doing great, we're, we're probably not that close. But if when you ask me, hey Preston, how you doing? And I respond to you by puking on you, take it as a compliment, we're like this. <laughs> because that's how it works. When we're close, we feel comfortable to confess where we actually are. I'm not in a good place. I'm frustrated. Oh, but you're a pastor. You're not allowed to be frustrated. Yep. So that's why when you ask me how I'm doing, I just go, great. <laughs> I get frustrated. I got to be able to talk about it. You know, the only thing worse than being frustrated in life is being frustrated by yourself, not being able to talk about it, having to carry it, you know, many of us are walking around feeling like the weight of the world is on our shoulders. And you know the number, reason, number one reason why? It's because we're not getting anything off of our chest. So the weight of the world just gets heavier and heavier because we never let anybody know, here's how I'm doing. Listen to what scripture says about a friend that really cares about this, how you're doing. Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, even when things aren't going well. That's another way I know whether or not we're close. When things go south in my life, my friends are the ones that's, that draw nearest to me. It says, and a brother is born for adversity. And that's just not talking about a, a, a literal brother or sister. It's talking about there is a type of friend who becomes so close that they don't see friendship as just relationship. They almost see it as they are bound to you as if by blood. This kind of friend is born for adversity. And I hear people say all the time, I don't have friends like that. I can tell you why, because you're not a friend like that. It's not because you don't have anyone around you that could be. It's simply because before you can have a friend like that, you've got to be a friend like that. That's how you get friends like that, who are born for adversity who care about how you're doing when you're not doing well. But that's not the only kind of friend. They need to know not just how you're doing, they really need to know what you're doing. Listen to what Proverbs says in chapter 28, verse 13. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. Do you have some people in your life that you can be so honest with that you can tell them when you've screwed up? Because when you can't, remember what David said to God at one point? He said, when I chose not to confess what I'd done wrong, it was like I was dying on the vine. But when I finally confessed what I had done, 
it's as though I came back to life. Why? Because there's a weight that comes with hiding when I mess up. And there's something liberating about flipping the lights on and going, I screwed up. I screwed up. They don't just know how you're doing, they know what you're doing. How many people do you have in your life that could answer this question for you? They don't just know how you're doing, but they know the last time you messed up. When Brad and I, Pastor Brad here on staff, started to become close friends, I remember one day he told me, he said, hey, you know, you, you have to realize now that you have refrigerator rights. And I said, refrigerator rights? I've never even heard of that. What's refrigerator rights? He said, well, when we're home, we don't lock our door, and refrigerator rights means you can come to our home, not even knock on the door, just walk right in, come into our kitchen, open the fridge, and grab whatever you want whenever you want. And what he was saying, he was not just talking about me being able to get a LaCroix at his house whenever I wanted one. He was talking about something even deeper than that. I think he was talking about not just refrigerator rights to his house, his home. I think he was talking about refrigerator rights to his heart. What he was saying was, listen, we're to a place in our relationship where I trust you and you trust me. I love you and you love me. And I'm telling you right now, I'm giving you unfettered access to the most sensitive and deepest places of my heart and life. And you can come in anytime you want and check on me. If you feel like I need something, you can bring it. If you need something from me, I'll give it. Okay, here's the question for you. How many people in your life have the refrigerator rights to your heart? Because if you haven't given any out, I promise you, Life is more complicated and difficult than it needs to be. Life is always easier when others are in it to help carry the weights of your everyday life. Here's the third confession. That someone who does life together, their life makes this confession. Point number three, I want to do this with you. I want to do this with you. Not just I can't do this by myself, not just I won't do this by myself, but really the highest level of doing life together is I want to do this with you. In spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your struggles, I want to do life with you. Now, the easiest way to tell who you most want to do life with, whom you most love in your life, there's an easy way to tell. I could follow you around in, in just seven days probably and figure out, whom you love most in your life. And here's how. I'd watch who got your best gifts. Whomever you love most is the person who gets the best of your gifts. Well, Preston, how can you so confidently say that? Well, it's pretty simple. The most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16 says what? For God so, 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 so extravagantly loved the world that he gave. Love gives. You know your life is making the statement to the people around you that you want to do life with them when they're getting the best of your gifts. 
Well, Preston, what kind of gifts are we talking about? Glad you asked. If you put a marker in 1 Peter 4, let's read it together. And I love the way the message translation translates this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 says, Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Great advice for the dispensation of time we find ourselves in presently. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Can you even imagine what life would look like in the family of God if we actually lived by this one verse? Love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. You've probably heard that before. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry and a bed to the homeless cheerfully. Be generous with the different things. And this word in the Hebrew, is, in the Greek, is gifts. Be generous with the different gifts God gave you, passing them around so all get in on it. Now let's break this down really quickly. Here's what this looks like. Let's say God's given you the gift of encouragement. It means that before you walk into a room, every time you say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, is there someone on the other side of this door who needs some encouragement? Would you give me some divine encouragement? Would you give me a prophetic word for them? A gift that I might be able to give them. And here's what the blessed life really looks like. The blessed looks, life looks like you taking all of the gifts God's given you that he didn't give me, and you just pass them around to all of us so we can all get in on it. It's basically like this. Every time you walk into a room, it's like Christmas morning, and you're like Oprah going, you get a gift, you get a gift, you get a gift. That's when life is at its best because God gave you some things he didn't give me and I need what he's given you and you need what he's given me. We need one another. My wife, years ago, uh, over 20 years ago now probably, was coaching volleyball uh, in college and right after college and she had a great team. They had a lot of talent but they were relationally disconnected and she had kind of grown sick of it and so she gathered the girls together and and took them on a hike and a couple miles and before they started the hike she passed out a little piece of paper to each one of them and there was a specific disability on each piece of paper one said uh, blind one said broken leg one said deaf, one said quadriplegic. And each person had to adopt that specific struggle, that disability. And the team had to figure out how to make sure everybody got from where they were to where they were going and nobody got left behind. So the quadriplegic had to be carried by everybody. The blind person had to be guided with a blindfold. The person with the broken leg constantly needed a shoulder to lean on because they were hobbling while trying to carry. And a funny thing happened as these girls got to the end of their hike. 
each one of them realized how badly they needed the rest of the team. But not just that, they got a revelation of how much easier the journey was when you leverage the strength of the team. Listen, that's you and me. In some seasons of life, I'm the one who can't see very clearly. And I need someone to come alongside and just help make sure I don't get sidetracked, get off track. Sometimes I'm like the one with a broken leg. I'm not at full strength and I need a shoulder or two to lean on, to be able to keep advancing the cause of Christ. Sometimes I'm like the quadriplegic and I can hardly even move and I need somebody to carry me where God's calling me to go. You see what we learn in life is that nobody is ever always the healthiest person in the room. And because we're not, we need one another to get where God is calling us to go individually and together. I need you. And you need me. Not because you're bad, not because you're weak, but because God designed us this way. We're called to do life, not alone, but together. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.